Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only podcast that brings you the story of all of our great leaders from around this incredible city. And today on the show, we've got Mr. Perry Moffmer joining us. He's a chair over at Vistage, and he's got a lot of great stories from his time as a leader all the way up to what he does today, which is help other leaders be great. We talk a lot about his tenets of relentless leadership And I definitely think you guys are all going to learn a lot this episode. I hope you enjoy your time listening with Perry. And if you want to learn more, check out all the links down in the show notes. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. .org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Uh, we're excited today on the show. We've got Perry Mothmer joining us, and Perry is the chair for Vistage here in Central Ohio. And Vistage is an invite-only peer group for CEOs and business leaders, and they provide a space for people who run their businesses to discuss challenges with their peers. And before Vistage, Perry served in a variety of leadership roles for companies like Alliance Data, IDG, and the American Ear, Hearing, and Audiology. Uh, Perry has recently developed a concept called Relentless Leadership, which is centered around 13 tenets, which he's bringing to his clients and their teams today. We're really excited to learn more about the Relentless Leadership ideology and how to apply the tenets. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Perry. Thanks. It's great to be here. 
Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us in the evening here uh, to uh, sit down and record an interview with us. It's always great getting to talk to folks like yourself who've had a lot of experience and could share a lot with our listeners. Um, on that note, I guess typically kind of where we like to start is just get a little background on you, your life leading up to joining Visage, maybe previous roles, school, any key highlights along your life that kind of led to where we are today? Um, probably, you know, you mentioned a couple of them. So serving in a number of leadership roles over the years, all of them, um, all of them here in Central Ohio. So I've been working and living in Central Ohio for, you know, 25, 30 years. Probably the other piece of the other component is I got my master's degree from Franklin. And then for about 15 years, I taught in their uh, MBA program. So I taught a number of courses, which, you know, uh, strategy and leadership and organizational development, which probably really led to the Vistage thing. You know, it was kind of a natural progression because of the facilitation piece. So, uh, and it was a timeline that the timing all worked out perfectly, move it out of my last role at American, uh, American Ear Hearing and Audiology. They were, I was helping them get the company ready for the kids to take over. It wasn't my goal to run that company for a long time. And so the transition was kind of a natural process of starting a Vistage group. And then for about a year and a half, I was doing both. Like I was president of that company and running a Vistage group and then transitioned to doing Vistage full time. So born and raised here in Central Ohio as well? Yep. And then you go to where for undergrad? Franklin for the MBA? Um, actually went to Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida. Yeah. So I left for four years and went down there, uh, which was not bad. What sparked that move? Uh, a scholarship, really. It, it, I applied for, I only applied to two schools. I applied to Flagler and Muskingum. And I got a scholarship to go down there, so I decided it wouldn't be bad to go down and spend four years on the east coast of Florida. And what did you study while you were there? I was an English Lit major. Okay. Yeah. And then you, you get out and do you work for a few years before the MBA or do you go right into it? I worked it? for a lot of years. Yeah, I worked for several years. I didn't get, let's see, I graduated in 89. It was 10 years. So I was in the first, when Franklin first started doing, or, or was the first university here in town to do the six-week format, you know, the, they call it the balanced learning format. So I went in the first cohort of that, which had its bumps, and, uh, and, uh, but it was good. It was a good time. But, yeah, I got through that in, I think, 18 months at the time. So you get out of your undergrad, do you come straight back to Columbus, or what does that path look like for those those 10 years? Yeah, I, I stayed a year down there and worked. Then I actually went to a law school at Ohio State for about six months until that. I wanted to claw my eyes out. So it really wasn't for me. Uh, it was what I thought I wanted to do. So I stopped doing that, then started working. And had a, I, it, I ran a company called Just for Feet for a while. People probably don't remember that. It was a 20,000-square-foot retail uh, shoe wear. And so we had several, several uh, locations here in Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati. So that's what, that was one of my first jobs. And so that's where I kind of cut my teeth on leadership and management uh, at a large scale. At one point, there were like 300 people that rolled up to me. Did you help start that company or did you? Mm -hmm. I, worked for the, I worked for the owner. So he started his first store and I, I got a job there and then progressed up. A year and a half later, I was a director of operations. Two years later, I was a VP of operations. Um, so, and then we started building stores and, and got involved in all of that stuff. And I think I was mid twenties at the time. Yeah. And then, so you stay there for what, that sounds like, like four to five years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. And then stayed there four years. Then I, uh, quit and, um, started a landscape company and then sold the landscape company to another company and then went to work there, took that company through chapter 11 where they got sold to another landscape company. And that's when I decided to go get my MBA. <laughs> That's and just the, after the bankruptcy, there's like, this might be. After two of them. Yeah. yeah. After seeing, <laughs> after seeing what that does. And I'm like, I, I want to learn a little bit more about how this works. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. And then I went to work for a couple bigger companies, Alliance Data, Court Furniture Rental. Uh, I worked at Pfizer for a little bit that used to be check free. So yeah, I've, I've been in companies as small as a million dollars up to like uh, 6 billion. 
One thing I'm curious yeah. about, I mean, you know, taking on leadership roles at a young age, you, you talk about, you know, director of ops, VP of mm -hmm. ops at that initial company in your 20s. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of the stuff you were working on was stuff that you'd never come across before or never had to work on before. Were there ever moments where you felt maybe a little overwhelmed or unsure of yourself? And how did you handle those? Well, that would, that would have been the majority of the moments. Um, yeah, uh, it was because everything, I didn't have any, I only had one person to talk to that was the owner of the company. And, and he was a brilliant guy, but he was also not the best people person. He was a yeller. Uh, back then, that was kind of normal. But, uh, you know, he was a guy who uh, made his point known and was not afraid to share that with people. And the, I can remember the very first time I felt overwhelmed was he told me I needed to demote three people the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And they were all just one right after the other after the other. So I had three meetings back to back where I'm demoting three people. Uh, and with no real guidance, just go demote them so they're no longer store managers or assistant managers the night before Thanksgiving. So, yeah. Uh, and, and all three of those went horribly wrong. And, and so it was really learning by error. So that's, over the years, that's where I figured you, you learn much more by screwing things up firsthand than you ever do by uh, reading them in a book. And that's, I used to tell, when I would teach in the MBA program, I would tell students, I'm like, look, we can read all this stuff, but until you do it, it's, it, it, this is all great theoretical stuff, but it's really different when you actually have to do the stuff they're talking about in the book. So what dynamics, you know, you've, you've been to small companies, large companies, retail uh, services like mm -hmm. landscaping. What dynamics have you noticed between primarily the smaller companies and larger companies that you liked and disliked that kind of steered you down the path that you are today? I like the small company feel because of the uh, nimbleness and, and how quickly things get done. One of the biggest challenges I had with large companies was just, and, and it's a valid it's a valid structure and business model, but they're bureaucracies just by nature, right? They're so big, there's layers, there's approval processes, there's meetings, there's meetings to have meetings. And so I just was never good at that type of uh, patience um, and, and continually talking about things and then talking about something but doing something different. And it's not, there, were any, there weren't bad people. It was just because of the structure itself. You have so many political things going on within large organizations. It's just hard to move things forward. And it's right for the right people. I just figured out after a while it wasn't right for me because uh, I, I, don't, I don't play well with others. And so we want to jump into Relentless Leadership and Vistage. But before we get there, I'm just curious, the, the path from we go back and get our MBA, mm -hmm. uh, what does that look like up until the Vistage moment? Got the MBA. Uh, uh, then I went to work at Court Furniture as a district general manager, spent four years there. Went to Alliance Data after that, went to Fiserv after that. Uh, then I was running Idigy for a, a year and a half after that. Then went to American Ear Hearing for about four and a half years after that, then into Vistage. And by the way, too, I, and I always tell people this. You know, they say, I was downsized twice, but you don't downsize people you want to keep. I mean, downsizing is just an opportunity to get rid of people you don't want, right? So. Uh, I've essentially been fired several times in my career, uh, which I'm okay with. Hmm. Do you reflect on those moments and try to try to think about why, or do you just kind of move on and? and, and no, I knew why, I, because I can't keep my mouth shut. At the time, you know, they asked me my opinion, and I mistakenly thought they wanted it, but they didn't really want the full opinion. They wanted a different opinion, which I understood after. But I, I couldn't. Um, I tried not to interact. I tried not to get involved in those conversations. But then once somebody asked me, I felt compelled to tell them. And that typically didn't go over very well. Interesting. So you decided to get into business. And it sounds like, I mean, with the teaching 
and kind of leadership roles and those sorts of things, it sounds like you've always kind of had a desire or you find fulfillment in like coaching and mentoring and that sort of thing. Is that something that you've seen or, you know, when did you first realize that that was kind of something that brought you a lot of, uh, I guess, fulfillment for lack of a better term? Yeah. I always like to help people realize their potential. Mm -hmm. That's really what I like to do. It's what I've always done. It was, it was funny when, uh, when I first started Vistage, went out to dinner with a couple of the Vistage folks from uh, Vistage corporate and my wife went out, uh, we all went out to dinner and the, the guy's like, what do you think of, you know, Perry doing Vistage. And she said, well, now he's just doing what he's always done. He just does it full time. And so really that's what it is. It's just, I really always enjoyed helping people realize and recognize their potential. And sometimes the challenge is they don't know what that is. And so it's helping them figure that out. It's asking a lot of questions and seeing for them what they're capable of. Cause we always have big blind spots. Everybody does. And typically we don't even know what our own gifts are. So it's really trying to be close enough to them and ask them enough questions and, and have a deep enough relationship with people to where you can help them recognize some things they may not recognize about themselves. Do you remember reflecting back when you first learned about Vistage and then uh, translate that into what does it even mean to be a chair at Vistage? It's, it, it's meant something different over the five years because it is, it's definitely a different role than what, for me, than what I thought it was going to be coming in. Because it really is a role of asking a lot of questions and listening and developing patience. And that was not something I was prone to have at the beginning. It's been a really transformative experience for me to be a chair working with the folks that I work with because I continually am able to learn about myself and understand the impact that I have on other people and how you can manage that better to get a better result for them. Because it truly becomes about them more than about you. And as a leader in organizations, that's a hard thing because most in organizations, when you're the leader, it's all about you, right? It's all about you're in, com you're in command, you're in control, you're in charge, whatever word you want to use. But then when you get into this role and you're trying to help other people figure out what's right for them, you have to be really careful not to start injecting your own beliefs and thoughts and ideas and what they want onto them. So it's very hard to stay neutral to a point of drawing something out of them without trying to judge it or evaluate it or guide them in a certain direction because it's what you think they should do. And that's probably the hardest, that's the, the most interesting piece. What does it mean to you to have an impact on other people? Like what have you found that you do or say, or uh, how do you impact people? The funniest part of that is, is you have more impact being quiet. So oftentimes now, one of the, one of the, the most powerful, one of the sayings we have at Vistage is let, the, let silence do the heavy lifting, right? So sometimes people will ask me a question in a one-to-one in -one environment, they'll ask me a question and I'll, and I'll just reflect back to them and say, oh, I don't know, what do you think? And then stop talking and make them answer. Because in a conversation, typically what happens is everybody's locked and loaded, right? So it's very infrequently when you're sitting with folks like that, if you stop and just refuse to talk, they'll start talking. And then sometimes as they're talking, they'll stop and I'll just nod or smile or say, hmm, and they'll start talking again, right? And that's, so there's this formula that, you know, we, we talk, I think we can, we can listen or process a couple hundred words a minute. Our, our brains actually think about 900 words a minute. So we can't even speak as many things as we're talking. It's only about 11% chance that you're getting what somebody actually means when they talk to you. So the more I let them talk, the more likely I'm gonna get all of those words out of their head. And it's really trying to help them understand what they're talking about, not for me to understand. Because it, it doesn't make any difference if I understand it or not. What makes a difference is if they understand it. 
And the most powerful points of in those times are when people start talking and I'm sitting there listening and nodding and then they suddenly go, oh, I hear, I, I just heard that. They, they, they actually heard themselves come up with a solution and then I go, okay, awesome. You know, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, right? And that kind of resonates a lot with me as a, as a salesperson because really if you're good at, like if you're doing your job well as a salesperson, you're mostly listening and not talking. So it just kind of resonates with my process and something I've been going through recently is just trying really hard to, I'm a new manager here at FMX, so I've been trying really hard to listen to what staff are saying about mm -hmm. these accounts that they're working and not try and inject my own thoughts and ideas into it. So it's just everything you're saying is kind of resonating with me and where I'm at right now. But throughout this process, I mean, we've mentioned relentless leadership a couple of times as a concept. So can you talk to us a little bit about, number one, I guess, where you saw a gap that you felt like, hey, this concept might fit in well, mm -hmm. and how did you come up with the different tenets and the, the core beliefs of, of relentless leadership? So the, the gap was, it was just people ask and continue to ask about where do I, do you know somewhere I can send my folks for leadership development? And the more I talked and the more I listened to them and the more I asked them questions and the more I looked at what was available in the marketplace, there isn't anything. There isn't anything, this, and this is all my opinion, so it's worth what a cup of coffee is worth, right? But my opinion is, is that we have attempted to dumb down leadership development. We make it a checklist. We, we make it a form. You know, we make it a, a one-day workshop. And leadership, as far as I'm concerned, leadership and training shouldn't be in the same sentence, right? You can't train somebody. Training is different than development. And development's what leadership's about because training is very job specific and it's also i can watch and see if it's successful like if i'm training you to do something i can go over it with you and then i should be able to watch you do the thing that i'm training you to do and evaluate whether you understand it or not whether you're able to do the thing i trained you leadership's not like that leadership's internal and it's and it has to be authentic to be real so it's going to be exhibited differently in everybody that that experiences it and so part of developing leaders is to try to help them find their voice and so most of the, the 13 tenants that I came up with, and I tell people right on the front, right up the front, they're, it's, they're uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. Like, I'm not telling you you have to do something. I'm giving you concepts that you can internalize and apply in your own authentic way because they're very general. And they apply not only at work, but at home or with your friends or whatever. So on two fronts, one is I wanted to come up with, with something that I thought fit the bill from a developmental standpoint where people could actually look at something, understand that it made sense, it was relatively simple, right? But the impact was great. And then the other side is, is being able to take those things and for the person to actually take them and use them and for it to be developmental over a period of time because there's kind of four steps when you learn something. There's increased awareness, focused attention, deliberate practice, 